This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear Blondie on the stereo. So when you're in the Chicago area looking for that authentic arcade experience, you'll find so many of those classic games you'll be in rapture at the Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. The classic arcade podcast. There are no others. There's actually many others. I think you're wrong about that. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. But how many of them have gotten to episode 100, Carrington? Seven. Uh, No, actually, probably probably none. (laughs) You have put up with me for 100 episodes. I know we're not celebrating till the full two years. Um, And I think we have a letter from somebody who says you might actually just ban me before then. (laughs) Well, why are we not celebrating? Because you won't let me. I, what are you talking about? Oh, if, uh, will you let me now? Yes. Oh, then, you know, then this week we're going to do Elevator Action 2. I'm going to take advantage of all the changes of policy. It's Elevator Action 2 for the next three, and only fighting games, which we decided last week. It's going to be Elevator Action fighting games. Well, Elevator Action 2 is actually good, so we could talk about that one. Yeah, but when did it come out? I don't know. Is it in the 90s? Probably. Then I don't want to play it. I'm curmudgeonly 80s focused. Then I and quit. 70s. <laughs> you can't, you can't self-ban. <laughs> You're here by court order. You know you can't quit, mister. Yeah, that's true. The judge keeps checking in on me. So I need to know what's new with Mike McGinnis. And I think the guy to ask is you. <laughs> so so um, what's up with that? There might be a better authority on, on that somewhere else. Uh, <laughs> the McGinnis News. <laughs> Check in. I just think it's weird that. Like we so we've done we played basically almost a hundred games because we had that that one week that was the the arcade draft so we I, mean, played, I technically like, never played Sorry Charlie. It feels like I mean, we go through the games list and it feels like we haven't even scratched the surface of anything really. I mean, no, because there's at least a dozen games we haven't played at least. Yeah, and and they're all like marquee big time. <laughs> no, we actually that, haven't that, played most of the big good ones. Right. We played a lot of really crappy ones you've never heard of, but We have to blame our listeners for that though. We're going through for the most part things that get recommended. People should start recommending things like Battlezone and then I can play it. Actually, we have lots of people recommending Battlezone. And that's a difficult one to play because of the mm. control scheme. Cuz I got no buttons on my joysticks. But it's very uh yeah, it's it's been Almost two years. Happy, happy one year, eleven months, Carrington. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's been a lot of fun so far. I mean, uh, some of the games have been real stinkers, but uh, for the most part, it's been great discovering uh, these titles that you know I never heard of, never saw in the arcade, and and they're really great games. So. It's gonna be fun when we both uh, quit the show next week. That'll come out of nowhere. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> true. Yeah, and I blame you, listener. Well, listener, it's single. Yeah. Well, no, not that. It's just that the. the that listener that's at the other end and hearing this, no, they I'm listen speaking in groups. specifically, I'm specific, not not to all the other listeners, to you specifically listening in your chair, hearing what I'm saying right now. That's your First of all, our time. listeners are always gathered in groups, like gazelles. Nobody wants to listen on their own. <laughs> so they can be picked they off picked by the lions. <laughs> exactly. And also, our listeners don't sit. They stand for attention for the entirety of our show, obviously. <laughs> be disrespectful to sit I during our episodes. I <laughs> don't think that's true. 
<laughs> I don't think anything I've said so far is true. We're like five minutes in. I have yet to drop a truth bomb. Mm. Our listeners did, though. He said, segueing. Oh, I could read Nicely done, sir. Very smooth. Uh, 100 episodes. I'm getting good at it. Uh, let's see. What did we get? We got lots of lots of good feedback about the Bank Panic episode. I know you did not like the show, or the, the show. Didn't like the um, the game. I did. Uh, seems a mixed bag from, from the feedback as well. It was a game that was everybody recognized and lots of people had written in about. But we did get some people writing in saying, yeah, you agree, I agree with Mike. <laughs> For instance, um, John wrote in to say, hi, Mike and Carrington. I love the concept of bank panic, but agree with Mike. There's a what? phrase I don't read much. Sure. Agree with Mike that this implementation leaves something to be desired. Maybe that's because it's 30 years old or something. I think simplifying the gameplay into something more like Hogan's Alley, in which you must make snap judgments under pressure, is more fun. Um, the down at the bottom, he says, for more flawed retro first-person fun, I suggest you review Empire City 1931 in a future episode. It's not a great game, but it's dripping with style and hasn't been converted to a home system, as far as I know. Thanks for the fun podcast, John. Thank you for the fun email, John. I don't know Empire City 1931. Never heard of it. Hmm. Do you want to add it to our list? I do, simply so? because he agrees with me about Bank Panic, and nobody ever agrees with me on this on this podcast, so... I'm going to take advantage. Weirdly, though, it's a recommendation. And the first thing he says after recommending it is, it's not a great game. So, like, <laughs> again, listeners, the reason we're 100 episodes in and we haven't played most of the good stuff is things like this, John. I hope you're standing, fault, John. John. Hope you're standing. <laughs> um, next email. Richard wrote in to say, another port or clone of Bank Panic you missed was Bang Bank. There's exclamation points after each word, so I had to, had to pause there. That was for the Atari 8-bit computers. It was developed in Poland and is basically the same game as Bank Panic. One change is that some of the levels take place at night, which makes it harder to tell the good guys from the bad guys. Although why the bank is open all night, I'm not sure. Keep up the great podcasting, and congratulations on reaching show number 99. I would congratulate you on show 100, but you said you weren't going to actually be celebrating until the real two-year anniversary. See, Mike? And technically, you aren't there yet, and there's always a chance Mike will ban both of you from your own show before then. Yes, we were just talking about that. That's why I was talking about it, actually. Oh, (laughs) I see. I set things up. I'm very professional. So Doug wrote in to say, One fine detail you didn't mention is the scoring for the two-gun outlaw. You talked about how you can game the game by making sure you focus on getting the lowest average fair shooting times. For the two-gun outlaw, the points you get are the total for the points of your two shots, again, based on the times evolved. So, it's important to try to time both shots as close to zero as possible. One more detail, even if your extra shot is a perfect zero colon zero seconds, you get the 5,000 point bonus, but you do not get a letter on the extra meter. Finally, one more detail. The wanted poster that appears after you shoot an outlaw depends on the nature of your shot. For instance, if you do an unfair shot or a normal fair shot, you get a generic outlaw with a bandana. For the blue outlaw, if you get a perfect shot, the poster shows an outlaw without a bandana, but with a mustache. For the green outlaw, if you get a perfect shot, then it shows the outlaw without a bandana, and he has a huge head of hair that covers one eye. And for the two-gun red outlaw, if you get a perfect shot on the first shot, the poster shows a beardless man without a bandana. If you get a perfect shot on the second shot, it shows a man with a mustache and an eye patch. Um, But it doesn't tell me what if I get a perfect shot on both of them. 
Oh, you let me down here, Doug. <laughs> um, then he says, also, you guys missed one of the weirdest elements of Bank Panic. It's pretty rare, though, so you probably just didn't get to see it. Every once in a while, a door opens, and it's the female customer and the short man at the same time. When the lady turns around to walk away, the wind blows up her skirt and the short man looks under it. I couldn't make this up if I tried. It's a totally bizarre thing, and the first time it happens, you'll probably be so shocked, like I was, and end up just getting shot. It would have fit right into your discussion of sexism in gaming, in fact. Maybe not so surprising given the Old West setting, which wasn't exactly an equal opportunity landscape, but still, how weird, huh? Thanks for reviewing one of my favorite games. Too bad Mike didn't like it, but at least one of you understood the glory that is Bank Panic. Love the show, and I'm sure Mike will ban me for this. That's okay. I'm going to listen anyway. I'm an outlaw like that. Doug. Nice letter, Doug. Mike, are you going to ban him? I am not. You're not? Oh, see, Mike. Mike's like a rebel that way. Crazy. That's what you get. You get <laughs> not banned. Get. That's what you get, Doug. Um... Let's do more. Pablo. Pablo wrote in to say, I enjoyed your Bank Panic review. I like this game more than Mike does, but I understand that not all games are for all people. I've always enjoyed the variety of the game, as well as the challenge, as the game gets very fast on the later levels. One small correction. The game actually has three sound chips in it, not just one like you said. All three are the SN76496 chips, which was made by Texas Instruments. It was similar to the AY38910 by General Instrument. The SN76496 was a DCSG chip, which stands for Digital Complex Sound Generator. It's also a TTL-compatible programmable sound generator, and has three square wave generators plus a white noise generator, too. I am using the word generator a lot. (laughs) All of them, all four of them, sorry, can make sound at 16 different volumes, which is why games that feature it can have so many different sounds playing at once. The chip was popular in a lot of home computers too, such as the TI-99-4A, the BBC Micro, and even the IBM PC Junior. But since I know you both are Apple guys, that probably explains why you weren't aware of the sound chips inside home computers that were able to do more than just make a beep. I kid, I kid. Thanks for the great podcast. Oh, Pablo. Okay, does Pablo get banned? Pablo gets banned, yeah. Oh, see, there you go. You're on the list, Pablo. <laughs> very, very good. Um, okay, I'll do one more. Uh, Stephanie wrote in to say, you guys often talk about making MAME cabinets. I know you are the no-quarter guys, but if you do make a cab that takes coins, perhaps you can incorporate some of this sweet dry ice action. And she sent us a a link to a YouTube video. And the email goes on to says, Instant farting arcade cabinet. Perfect for parties, or so I assume I don't get invited to those sorts of parties. Stephanie, P.S. This taught me about the laden frost effect. And then she sent us a link to that as well, which is when something like hot metal or whatever touches something that's that's like dry ice and it makes this weird sort of popping slash farting noise. So if you want to hear the sound that basically, she's right, is like a farting noise if you throw a coin onto dry ice, we will have a video for that in the show notes because we are that kind of podcast. For every chicken you ever ate, for every turkey sandwich, for every duck, quail, and pheasant, the birds are back and they're fighting mad in Phoenix, Atari's newest star. You zig, they zag. Use your shield, they wait to get you. Shoot a wing, Phoenix grows another until you face the mother ship. 
reach for Phoenix. Shall we talk about Phoenix? Oh, sure. Why not? Did you like it? I thought it was a really good game. I thought so, too. I I was wondering if you would be on board with it as I am, because it's kind of basic. But it's really good. I really enjoyed this week's game. Yeah, I had a good time with it. Um, You know, it's so this is the standard. um, It came out in 1980. And it was by um, Century. We often talk about how to pronounce it. Century or Century? See, I'm going to say it's spelled Century, like Alpha Century, or like you were saying, like the character in um, Last Starfighter. So I say Century, <laughs> but I online in videos, I hear lots of people pronouncing that company as Century. But I think it's Century. I'm going to say Century. Anyway, they, they did it in North America, and Taito put it out in Japan. But I think it was actually developed by somebody else. Yeah, it was developed by Amstar uh, Electronics. Oh, I don't, I don't know them. Yeah, they're located, they were, were located in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, hence the name of oh. the game. Oh, well, that's Funny. Well, because it's kind of also bird-based, so it's sort of like the enemies are phoenixes. Fena- Fena- I don't know what the <laughs> would be. I'm going to say Fena. Phoenixes. So this, like you say, is 1980. So to put it in context, it's gonna. this means that this game comes after Space Invaders, after Galaxian, because Galaxian is 79, but it comes before Galaga, which is 81. And, and I think it's pretty fair to sort of slot it in between Galaxian and Galaga as well, in, in sort of what it has a... In, in the game, it sort of goes on from Galaxian in that it's got um, multiple levels that you go through that are different. and um, But it's not as sophisticated as something like Galaga, which comes the next year, um, that has you know tons of motion and tons of different waves and, and lots of different game mechanics. I did find, though, that the, the movement in general like of the bad guys is a little more... Like a little more stilted, I guess, than Galaxian. Galaxian is crazily smooth. Like, that's how I remembered it. So I fired up Galaxian this week to, to replay that. And it definitely is the case, at least on the setup I have, Galaxian is a, is a smoother running game than Phoenix. But I think that might be more a matter of coding than, than what's going on on the screen. Or possibly the processor, depending on what you read and what you choose to believe about that. CPU we'll get to that, machine. but everyone disagrees on how, what, what runs this game. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, also, I think this is the, as far as I can tell, if the internet's not lying to me, which it usually is, but if this is one of the few times where the internet's being true, this is the first multi-level space shooter. So that's exciting. And it's one of the first ones with a boss level. We'll talk about the level soon. So it's got a boss level. And everyone says, oh, it's one of the first. But nobody seems to want to write what the actual first one was, which I, I wish I could say. So I don't know. GamePro.com has a list of the 47 most diabolical video game villains of all time. <laughs> Ooh, and lists, 47, that's an odd choice. <laughs> and lists at number 10, uh, Phoenix, where they say that not only was it a uh, the encounter against the boss, a quarter-munching exercise in tension, it was also the first time a player encountered a video game boss. So we should talk about the level set, and then we can get to this boss thing. So there's, I guess there's five, I would say five different levels that you go through, although it's really like level one and two are kind of the same, and two and three and four are kind of the same, and then the fifth is the boss level that's different. So in rounds one and two, you destroy a formation of alien birds. Um, and basically, you play Galaxian. What's that? You basically play Galaxian. Right, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm quite, uh, I'm sure that, that this was an attempt to cash in on the popularity of, of the previous Galaxian games, and um, cause that happened all the time in the industry back then, but you, so, so as you're shooting up at these, uh, birds, they some of them fly down at you kamikaze style, sort of similar to what would happen in Galaga later on. And, um, if you hit the bird flying while it's flying diagonally, you get a bonus score. 
Um, in round one, they're pink. In or I'm sorry, in round one, they're yellow. In round two, they're pink. And when you get to round two, then you get rapid fire. Um, but the birds are a little bit more unpredictable and makes it um, harder to to shoot them. So it sort of balances out that way. And then rounds three and four, you have um, – <laughs> I'm reading this from, from Wikipedia. They say it's like basically big eggs. Flying eggs float on the screen and seconds later hatch, revealing larger alien birds re resembling – um, I don't know how to pronounce that. Phenices, um, which Phenices definitely <laughs> the phenies, <laughs> which again swoop down on the player ship. And the only way you can destroy one of them is to hit it in the belly. Shooting its wing just destroys that wing. And if which is um, a fun thing though, because you can shoot off a wing, and it's like tis but a flesh wound, <laughs> and and then you can shoot both wings, and it's like oh yeah, well then I'm getting my wings back, and they regrow. So I liked that a lot. Like that adds a really good detail that I think we wouldn't have seen in earlier games. So that's really fun. You get that you got to shoot them in the middle um, to actually get them, and you get more points if you. We should talk about the points eventually in more detail because there's lots of combinations. But if you can shoot off both wings and then shoot the middle, is the the way to get the most points. Though the game's so frantic, I would rarely pay attention to that and mostly just yeah. try to shoot like crazy. Yeah, it, it gets pretty cha uh, pretty chaotic and, and hectic really early on. It's one of the things that, and I, as much as I complained about the uh, sort of. Uh, ADD teasing nature of bank panic last week, the the chaos and, and all the stuff going on in this case really works well for the game. It's a different sort of chaos, though. I totally get where you're coming from because this is a game where not a thousand different things are happening. It's more like one thing. These things are attacking you, but it's just they're doing it really frantically and they're all over the screen. But that's different than Bank Panic where tons of different stuff is happening. Like you've got a, a map thing at the top and the and the 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 guy in front of you and then the three different doors and different things behind the doors. And so I think it's a different sort of franticness. I like them both, but I, I get why if the bank panic sort of weirdness would bug you, it wouldn't necessarily carry over to this game because it's a, it's a different nature of, of scrambledness on the screen. Scrambledness the, is the word I wanted, by the way, that's not just what only thing I could think of. Well, <laughs> I think the I think the chaos in, in uh, Phoenix is good because it's not distracting like it was in in Bank Panic, and that's sort you of just the use the word chaos as if that was the word I wanted and couldn't think of it, but that's not necessarily the case. Maybe it was like a whole different word. The scrambleness <laughs> in uh, Phoenix is uh, works better because it's not as as distracting as the scrambleness was in Bank Panic. Excellent, in interesting movies. word use inside structure. <laughs> um, and then round five is the the mothership. Um, where this is the boss level, I guess. And mm -hmm. so it's controlled by an alien creature sitting at the center. And to, to beat this round, you have to create a hole in the conveyor belt type shield that's around it and then hit the alien. You only have to hit it once. It's, it's getting through that shield. That's a problem. And it's a problem because the mothership fires missiles at you as, as it's slowly coming down the screen at you. And there are alien birds that uh, also protect the ship. So there's yeah, it reminded me of the, uh, the flagship level in Gorf seems to be based yeah. on this sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's great, though. It's one of those things where you forget the impact that that must have had in 1980 for people that were really used to playing Space Invaders for, for a while. Then games like Galaxian come, and they're exciting because it's got that nicer sound, and, and there's all that motion on the screen now, things coming down at you, and it's got the color. And so you, you're playing this game, and you're thinking, oh, this is fun. And so you get what's going on. You had two rounds of these scouts. Then you got the soldiers, and this this is interesting. And then you finally have gotten good enough to get to round five, and it's just this one giant ship coming slowly down at you. <laughs> and it's the first time you would have seen a boss level at all. So it must have been a fantastic moment. Like, I don't actually remember the first time I played this game, but it, 
It must have been mind-blowing to get to level 5 and go, wait, what? What? I've got one enemy that's taking up 80% of the screen. It's exactly what we were making fun of, actually, in um, uh, the one level we made up for Sorry Charlie, where I said it's like Space Invaders, but there's just a one big Space Invader. <laughs> it's that sort of thing. Like You can imagine that this must have had tremendous impact, and no doubt is a big part of why this game is, is sort of fondly remembered, because like just... There'd be that moment where you see your first boss level and think, well, well, this is new. So very exciting. I, I like think it. they stole our idea from Sorry Charlie. We should Absolutely. sue them. Absolutely. Retroactively, they totally stole our idea many years before we We should we sue it. them, although that wouldn't be the first lawsuit related to this game. Ooh, was there another lawsuit? Well, nice I, segue, by the way, mister. <laughs> nice. Nice and smooth, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> until I drew attention to it. That was with, really good. Uh, you know, gravel and salt on it. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> so uh, this is actually over the home version uh, of the game. Atari back then was kind of, we'll call them litigious. Uh, because and, they were, and they're going <laughs> to sue you for saying that. They sued everybody that they could uh, about anything that even remotely resembled one of their games. And so uh, there was a... a uh, another company called iMagic or Imagic. And, yeah, sure. And um, they made a game called Demon Attack. Um, and Atari had licensed um, Phoenix from, I, I, probably from, from Century. Uh, and Atari said, well, this, your, your Demon Attack game is a, an exact copy of, of, our, uh, of our game. And they sued. And the interesting thing is that the the iMagic game actually came out first. The Atari game wasn't even on the market yet, and Atari said, "Oh, that game is a copy of ours, and we're suing you." Um, they just knew somehow. The thing is, Demon Attack was a great game. I've always pronounced it Imagic, like imagine, but you halfway through you oh, decide yeah. you say the word that magic makes instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. As a kid, that's what I always said. But I'm again, Century, Century. I don't know. I'm, I'm not even sure Phoenix is the way you pronounce that. It's got some weird letters in there. No, and an E, and like. Could have had that wrong my whole life. Um, but Demon Attack was a really good game. That was one of my all-time favorite home Atari games. I used well, to play that a lot. It sounds like either Imagic thought that they didn't have much of a leg to stand on or they were just eager to sell Demon Attack because they, the, the suit was filed uh, in late November of 82 and by early January the, it had been settled out of court. Um, but maybe they settled it by showing them, say, look, we have no – it is definitely a different game and what are you going to drag it on? Look, we'll give you this and shut up. Well, what 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 one of the uh, Imagic's big comment was that they would that part of the settlement was that they would be allowed to continue to sell Demon Attack. So I think that was probably what they were really wanting to do. And if they had to pay some to Atari just to make them go away, then that's what they were going to do. Yeah, I used to like that game a lot. Just saying, I liked it. So why don't we talk about the points in this game? Because I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what scores you get for what. Yeah, and I have weird. notes. Kind of and strange. I want to I say those notes because I spent effort on them. Say those notes, Carrington. Okay, so as far as I can tell, and all of this is just like what I can figure <laughs> out by taking notes while I play this game, during rounds one and two are sort of the low-scoring rounds because you're going to get either 20 or 40 points when you shoot these things. It seems like you get 20 points when they're just sort of hovering or gently flying, basically an unfair shot. But when they're attacking, or like you said, doing that diagonal movement, they're coming at you, then you get 40 points. So you're much better off trying to focus on the the ships that are coming down at you. But every once in a while, you get double the points. A normal shot will give you 40, or a, a shot during attacking will give you 80. And it seems to be that every time you shoot and you hit something, it starts a very brief counter. And I don't know how long that counter is, but if you can shoot something else during that counter period... It, you're in like a double points period. As long as you can keep it up, like quickly, like very rapidly shooting things in a row, you're doubling your score during that period. But there's nothing on screen to tell you that you've entered that period. 
So it took a while to even notice that suddenly I'm like, why am I getting 80 for shooting things? So that's what's going on. Same sort of thing happens in rounds three and four when you get the eggs and then the big birds with the wings. It's fun to clip their wings. Um, you get 50 points when they're still as an egg. But then, so they're kind of worth shooting, so you get rid of bad things. But you get 100 points if you shoot them once they've got their they're a big bird, but their wings are still folded in. And then the points seem to vary the wider their wings are. So you can get anywhere from 100 to 800 points, depending on whether the wings are in or the wings are out. You get more points if the wings are shot off first, mostly because you're getting points for the wings, and then you can shoot the bad guy. You get um, more points as well if they're lower down the screen, the same sort of thing. If they're attacking you, it increases the points. and It's crazy. And then the boss thing that's... It also seems to be the lower you let it come at you because it's a big spaceship, you get a you get like a bonus when you destroy it. And the lower it is, the bigger that bonus is. Because a lot of times I would get 1,000 points and suddenly you get 1,200. But if you can get it really low, you can get up to 9,000 points for shooting the boss. But it's got to be like right on top of you. And of course, you're also getting points as you whittle away at the bottom part of the boss. So the longer you can sort of drag out that level, the more dangerous it is, but also the more points you can get. For the most part, I would just be frantic and scared and just shoot as fast as possible to end it. But somebody who was better at this game than me <laughs> could rack up like a lot of points early in, in the game in the way that I found that I couldn't. Yeah, I... Uh, I quickly... And those were my notes. I have now read <laughs> them. scoring. There you go. Um, I, I quickly realized that I wasn't going to be able to figure out the scoring while I was playing the game. So I, I read some of the, um, cheater. What, well, I read some of the web pages on how the, the scores were tallied later and, and what you said sort of mostly. I, I was pretty close. It lines up. Yeah. With what I've read. Uh, but yeah, I, I just was had a, like, you know, I had a great time playing the game because it's so frantic and, and, um, I will say that, um, and this will be my excuse later on, was that uh, I, I unintentionally cheated because I was unaware, and, and I, I guess I should have known just because it was released in 1980 and it was a clone of these other games, uh, that Phoenix didn't have a joystick. It used two buttons for left and right and then more buttons on the other side. And weirdly, the fire button was lined up is lined up beneath your, your, your middle finger um, on the right instead of where you would normally think it would be the first finger. Because uh, that's that one's for the shield, and that was very confusing for me. So when I played with the joystick, I did very well, and and um, um, I'm just gonna not say that I played with the buttons, even though I did. Well, it was I, terrible. I played with the buttons because early on, after a couple days playing, I went and started to look up what the cabinet was like, so I could take my notes about the cabinet. And then that's when I noticed, oh, this cabinet doesn't have a joystick. And I said, oh, none of the cabinets have joysticks. <laughs> well, that's disappointing. Um, so I switched to a button layout matching what the actual cabinet was like, because I tried to make it as authentic as possible. And my scores got way worse. <laughs> I am much worse at maneuvering when it's a left-right button than a joystick. Oh, because yeah. a joystick is just, it's more natural. You can, it, it seems like you have to think about it less at, at a low sort of level. So holy cow, I just was going into everything. Plus, when I switched around the fire, I was originally using fire from my, my index finger, and then the middle finger was the, the shield. And instead, when I switched it to be the same as the original cabinet, that also made it worse. I was constantly hitting shield instead of fire, and, and worse, vice versa. I would put my shield and said I would just fire, pew, and then I would die. It was just <laughs> like, holy cow, the control scheme is, is really rough on this. I, I think you'd eventually get used to it, but I agree that it felt very unnatural when I switched over, and my scores got pretty bad. Now, I will say I intentionally cheated because I read about a cheat 
that can let you get a massive score. So I actually have two different scores when we eventually talk about the scores. One that is like 200,000 higher than my other one, but it's a cheating score. So I will use the button one as my official one, but I'll, I'll later let's talk about the, the cheating. What do you think about the music? Uh, I liked it. Um, it's that Spanish romance song for the most part. And then I think Furley's eventually when, so I, I liked the music. I, I, I thought it was good. I also liked that, that the, the background is a nice scrolling star field. They're kind of showing off. Look at us and all the cycles we had left. Um, I dig it. Like for a 1980 game, especially, I, I thought it was really good. What about you? Did you like the music? I, I thought it was really good. Yeah. I, I liked it. So the Furley's plays when, when um, we didn't mention this before, when, when, when you defeat the, the mothership, um, the game just starts over and gets harder. Um, and when you destroy the mothership, then that's when Fairlease plays. And then um, the romance d'amour um, is what plays at the start of the game. And uh, yeah, I, I thought it was really smooth, um, especially for 1980. And, and at first, you know, when, when I was doing the research on the, the specs for the game, I thought, oh, well, that's why. Because some of the places when you read about what CPU is driving this machine. You'll see it's a, it's an Intel 8085 at 5.5 megahertz. Others what Wikipedia says. Yeah. yeah but that's and, crazy. For yeah. For 1980, especially that would be, I think almost prohibitively expensive. Uh, Cause Intel chips were expensive anyway. And then one at that speed. Um, but there are a few places that also quote that. And I don't know if they're just quoting each other because somebody threw that out there. Um, and the other, the other one that you'll read is uh, 8085A at 2.5. Two megahertz, and that makes a little bit more sense to me. But I can't tell uh, which is actually true. And and then you throw into the mix that there were several clones of this game that also used variations of of the eighty eighty five, and it becomes very um, convoluted as to you know without having one of these and opening it up and saying oh there's the chip that's what this is. Um, I, I can't tell, and th- there's I guess. There's some some because of we talked about this in a previous episode where they talked where um, you know Japanese large Japanese corporations tend to be more fluid about who owns what property and spinning things off and reabsorbing and selling pieces of their companies off to other companies. So it's even a little bit hazy who actually owns the rights to Phoenix right now. The common thought is that it's probably Taito, but we're not sure. That's really interesting. It's funny about the chips too because I agree I could not find a canonical source. That would say what's running. Audio chips as well. If you look at Wikipedia and a lot of sites online, it says the audio is run by an MN6221AA chip and then discrete circuitry. Clove says, no, it's a TMS36XX plus discrete circuitry. And I found other sites that would say something else. I don't know if maybe they just like assemble five or six different versions of the game. Like <laughs> Of all the games we've looked at, this is the one where there seems to be the most dispute about what really is inside the cabinets. And probably, you're right, that it's so many clones are out there. People will have a Phoenix cabinet, and maybe it's not an original Phoenix cabinet, or maybe it's got a board from another game or what have you. And the manual from Centuri doesn't, it just says, oh yeah, it's got a CPU here. <laughs> it doesn't give those details either. So I think that's contributed to a lot of this info being essentially lost to history. Unless somebody has something that they can, you, they'll know the provenance of it and say, no, this is distinctly a century cabinet of Phoenix that's never been monkeyed with that I've had from the original. And here's what's inside it. Um, I don't know other than that, how we'll ever find out what the truth is. And to make matters worse, uh, I think a lot of the arcade companies at the time would, because they didn't want their games cloned and they didn't want it to be easy for you just to open up and see what they were doing would, would scrape, um, 
identifying information off the chips. So when you pull a board out, just because it's an Intel chip, you may not know that because they may have obscured it. You know, some some of them would put gum over it or a, a glue, and some would just scrape the, the information off. So you know, it's it's and you saw that sometimes in home computers, especially with EEPROMs or or, or weird chips that they didn't really want you messing around with they you know they would make it impossible for you to kind of without getting in there with some some really high high level reverse engineering technology you wouldn't know what what they were running in there um and then i'm looking at wikipedia here and and there are a bunch of clones listed so um uh, videotron made one called griffin also in 1980 uh the bgv made one called falcon in 1980 it was released in france by jutel um and it was called uh, valtour uh, there was one in 1981 called Condor that was released by Saddam, Saddam, um, a, a game called Phoenix, but spelled F-E-E, or I'm sorry, P-H-E-E-N-I-X, was released by, by Megadodo, for, and uh, for, that was for the ZX Spectrum, um, and Eagle Empire was released by uh, Al Gata Software for the BBC Micro, and it ended up on a bunch of graphing calculators, weirdly, um, <laughs> as well. I think they were... I think there were also bootlegs yep. of this game. Like, I think there were like tons of versions of this game. Yep. TPN released a bootleg in 1980, and a company called Erezka GGI Corp uh, also released a Phoenix bootleg in 1980. So there's a lot of stuff out there, and it's like you said, without knowing the provenance of the machine and being able to say, yes, this came from the manufacturer with these chips in it, um, it's probably difficult to, to nail down these days. Because the, the funny thing is we looked at the um, the PDF for – uh, the the arcade manual is online over at archive.org. And even that doesn't tell you what the CPU is. I mean, all the, the, the parts are listed out there except the CPU. Right. In fact, the part list is just part one, full arcade cabinet, <laughs> complete. <laughs> so it's really just a small parts list. <laughs> well, no, of, I mean, all the, of all the companies you just named, the one I like the best is Megadodo um, that for the ZX Spectrum. Do you know why Megadodo is an awesome name? Uh, because of its it's uh, it's a reference to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. There you go. Nice. Well done. Well done, you. So, but the, the manual lists out all the parts. Like you know, I mean, uh, they've got the number like socket number one. That's a seventy four LS two forty five IC, and it's got the part number. And um, you know, there's dozens of these things. And you get down to the to the the CPU, and it just says uh, printed circuit board CPU. That's it. You don't know. So I I, I don't know. Well, the one advantage of it, the fact that it was. Like I mean, it's famous for being you know first multi-level space shooter. Famous for being one of the one of the first boss things. It's also famous for I guess being one of the most cloned games of the eighties. So, so the the nice thing is though, if you like this game, and I really do, I think like if for a straight ahead basic early arcade shooter game, it's a really good, really fun one. It's yeah. also a really cheap one. These are plentiful. You can find cabinets in really good shape right now there's a whole bunch on ebay full complete beautiful functional cabinets for 200 dollars. Wow. is the ebay price for these and some are as high as four but honestly if you're looking to pick up a like a space shooter type cabinet you can get this thing for a fraction of the cost of something like a galaga or even a space invaders it's a remarkably cheap game <laughs> as a cabinet so not that you should pick this up and convert it into something else because it's a beautiful cabinet but if you're looking to fill out a, a collection, this is one you can add really cheaply. Yeah. The cabinet itself is also really beautiful. I like this cabinet tons. Um, Century puts out some neat cabinets, and it's got that that late 70s into the early 80s feel to it because it's a very generic cabinet shape. What the the what we would consider the full upright cabinet is what they call the maxi cabinet, which is just a standard upright to me. Um, and 
it's based on a cabinet that is that fake wood grain paneling all over it, which I find really endearing in the <laughs> yeah. cabinets. I'm like, yeah, yeah, bring it. But then on top of that, they've, they've, they've placed a really nice looking control panel that unfortunately, yes, just has buttons and makes the game really hard to play. And then a really, really nice looking marquee. It's in this blue and green color scheme with um, a, a gold yellow that's used in the, the actual Phoenix um, but so it's got this green logo on a blue space background. It's really nice, and it's got half height side art. But it's nice, even though it's just you know a sticker side art. It's cut to sh- it's shaped around the shape of the cabinet. So it, and I really like that. I hate it when something is just like a a rounded rectangle stuck on the side of a cab because it's not it's not distinct to that cabinet. So regardless of the cabinet shape, I want the side art to form around it, and this does. So it makes it really attractive I re- and it's got this big mechanical phoenix thing on the side the phoenix logo so i love it i think it's a really look good looking cabinet it was also produced as what i would consider a cocktail cab the smaller oh sorry um a cabaret cabinet the smaller uprights and a um, cocktail cab i don't have a lot of info about the cocktail but the cabaret from uh a century is great so they call their full cabinets a maxi cab and they call their upright or they call the the cock the my goodness, my, my words, my words are all flying away. <laughs> Goodbye words, I'll miss you. They call the cabaret cabinet just an, an upright. And it's awesome looking. So it's this little miniature cab, about the size of the, the cabarets you'd get from an Atari. But it's r- sort of shrunk down. And it's got the little tiny control panel front, the little buttons, and it's a lean back screen inside it. And it's really nice. Every once in a while, I'll see like just a beautiful cabaret, which are the, the smaller ones. I mean, it's oh, this... It, I think that it's like 180 centimeters high, which is around 70 inches or something. So it's not that it's tiny, but it's a lot smaller than the full-size cabinets. And every once in a while, I'll see these and realize, like, there's some really beautiful cabinets that are in cabarets. And I think if you have a collection, there are a lot of times they're more expensive because they're much more rare, even though they were back in the day, the, the cheap, smaller version, but people didn't hang on to them. Um, but the Phoenix one is particularly lovely. So it's it's a cabinet. If I was going to get one, I might actually want to get the, the cabaret rather than the maxi cab. So anyway, I like it. I like both cabinets. For, I like the game and I like the cabinets. So it's the one-two punch. Uh, Arcade-history.com does list uh, the, the cocktail as having as as having the uh, joystick control. Oh, so that'll buttons. be your excuse now that so, you were playing. So that oh. was the version that I played. Yes, those were the wrong. And I'm going to use my cheating score. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I, I will note that um, the graphics. I, I like the the background, especially like having the kind of the blue star field that moves and changes patterns uh, between levels gives it. Um, Gives it an extra feeling of movement. That, that's that's really nice. I like that. But overall, I I still think it was. And, and the colors are bright and vibrant, and they, they it's it's a nice scheme that comes together well. But the movements overall, I think, were still kind of stiff and maybe um, not as smooth, I guess, as as Galaxian. Um, it does have. Like, so you're looking at the screen. It's, it certainly does have that that thing that they um, the, those early games did, where where the scores are you know right across the top. You got the, the player one. Um, and then the high score and player two all across the top there. And the, the same scheme that we've talked about where you score tens of points and maybe hundreds if you do really well rather than tens of thousands of points. Oh, yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. And, and it doesn't, unfortunately, include things up in the control panel or sorry, up on screen by the scores, which I would have liked in a, in a later game. 
it's rare that people would implement a, a game mechanic or a time-based mechanic or something that they wouldn't have some sort of gauge or counter on the screen. Like, so there's this small, some period where you get double points after you've shot a bad guy. And I think in a later game, there would have been a meter that counted down to tell you, hey, you've got three seconds, shoot other things in that, keep the meter full and you'll, you'll increase your score. So that would have been there. Um, and it's un- unfortunate that it was. And I think there also would have been more of I don't know, just something like how long your shield lasts. I, I Last night, because we were going to record earlier, and then we couldn't because there was electricity everywhere in Toronto. And, <laughs> uh, I was basically being attacked by a thunderstorm. And uh, so last night I played again, and, and I, I figured out basically kind of by roughly timing it that your shield lasts around a second, regardless of how long you hold down the button. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what you get for pressing the shield. And it takes around four seconds or so oh, to recharge, yeah. but it doesn't seem to be a fixed thing because I think... Sometimes it recharges slower, depending on like how many things are attacking on screen. <laughs> the, the game <laughs> slows down a bit, so you can't always count on it. But you don't have like as that it, it should be an indicator. It should be something that really obviously says, "Okay, here's your screen filling back up." And I think it should have that, but it doesn't. A later game probably would have. I agree. You should agree. It was very interesting. <laughs> the stuff I said. It's, it's, things you say are often interesting, Karen. <laughs> probably not in the way that you hope that they are. But uh, <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. It's all good. <laughs> the um. I, I, I like the fact that, you know, it's, it's, it is a very difficult game precisely because, you know, you only get the shield for a second because there's so much going on on the screen at the, at the time. Um, and that's typical, I think, of those earlier, ar- uh, earlier arcade games where they tended to have a higher level of difficulty and they kind of made, made you earn your scores more. Uh, but I never felt like I was overwhelmed or that I couldn't do better if I kept practicing and, and, and working at it. And, and that's kind of what I look for when I try to judge whether I'm ever going to play a game again, and especially a, a more difficult one. Yeah, it can be hard, but as long as I feel like I'm, even, as long as I feel like I'm doing better, even if it's fooling me into a false sense of security that way, I'll come back to it. If it's, you know, a huge learning curve and, and I'm not getting anything out of it, then I, then I won't. And this is not one of those games. I agree. I mean, it's a repetitive game like all early space shooters are. Like, once you've seen level five, you've seen it all. It's just going to get faster. But it's refreshing enough and it's fresh enough for a game, especially this old, that in the same way, like with Galaxian, Galaga, Space Invaders, with those other ones, where, you know, you can always come back to them after a break and they always seem fresh and always seem fun. Same thing here. To- totally a-, a good game. You've got me thinking about that Starfield now, the whole, because I really like it. And I like games that have the, the stars not just twinkling in the background, but moving. It gives you that sense of flying. But also, essentially, it's one of those early games then that establishes that the enemy are trying their best to fly away from you. And you're just chasing them and killing them <laughs> right. anyway. You're and if you would just stay still, they would gladly leave. So this establishes around 1980 that, that humans are xenophobic, terrible people who go out into space and destroy entire civilizations. They're not attacking us. We're clearly attacking them. Right. One they- of us goes off and wipes them out. Total genocide. Um, we should feel guilty. We're, we're the, the, the imperialistic uh, um, interlopers here, I think. What's this we, American? <laughs> hey, you came down to this country and burned down the White House, so I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> and we'll do it again. That's right. We'll do it again when we want to. Can't wait. <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 I'm completely with you, though, that I, I, I dig this game. Um, yeah, yeah I, I enjoyed playing it this week very much. Uh, there, was, there was a sequel called uh, Pleiades or uh, Pleiades, depending on uh, what you're looking at. Developed by Tekan in 1981 and licensed to Century or Century for uh, distribution in the United States. And on screen it says Pleiades, and the, but the marquee, which was uh, manufactured by Century when they made the cabinet, actually says Pleiades. 
Yeah, you think it would be um, this whole space thing, but yeah. Uh, Pleiades features more enemies attacking on the screen all at once, uh, and is balanced by the fact that the player now has two shots on the screen at, uh, at one time instead of one. I see. Speaking of shots, so another weird thing about this game, and I think it's because it's an early game and it's not necessarily the best program <laughs> game. Your shots go at different speeds depending on the level you're in, and on level two, you basically have fast shooting at a much faster rate than you have on any of the other levels. <laughs> it's kind of bizarre that, hey, it's level two, I can shoot really fast, and level three, we're back to shooting slow again. I'm like, oh, okay. It's kind of weird. Um, but it's also the fast shooting, especially on level two, is one of the keys to a cheat that gets you a huge score. Oh, tell me about Just the saying. cheat, Carrington, that so, you used because that's all you could use to beat me at this, I know. So if... Probably. My, my regular button-based score is much lower. So, here's a little trick. If you can shoot three enemies, uh, like, all in a row, bing, 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 rapid succession, but they all have to be flying up away from you. So, what you have to do is wait for a wave to attack. And a lot of times, like, on the second level in particular, how the formations work is one enemy will come down and attack you, and then four enemies will come down and attack. So, you wait for the four enemies to come down. Basically, don't shoot anything. As soon as they turn around and start flying up, you get under them and really quickly blow away three of them. Bang, bang, bang. Really fast because you've got fast shooting on the second level. If you do that, your score becomes 204,000. Now, <laughs> if your score was higher than 204,000, your score has now lowered to 204,000. <laughs> but if your score, as mine always was, like many digits below 204,000, you can just jump immediately. to. Two- so on second level, you can have 204,000. And then you just go on from there and never do that again. It's actually pretty hard to time. And so I would find maybe one out of 10 times I was playing, I could actually be quick enough to get under there. Because you've got to get them while they're moving up, which means you have to get under them really quickly so they often will drop that sort of they rain bombs down on you sometimes when they're in those formations. So I would much more frequently die than get it. But since quarters were free the way I was playing. Um, yeah. So anyway, so in one sense, my high score was 204,000. <laughs> but in a non cheating <laughs> sense, um, the best I did after switching to buttons, oh, terrible buttons would mess me up on which button shoots and which button is, yeah. is uh, shield. Holy cow, that messed me up. Uh, mm. Best score I got was 12,440. Um, so considerably less. So I'll put that in as my, my real best score, 12,440. <laughs> 12, and how did you do, Mike? Well, let's oh, see. no. That <laughs> sounds like a braggy well joystick user. <laughs> well, on, on the joystick, and this will be my official score. No, actually. So on the joystick, um, yeah, I, I did 68,320. Oh, oh my okay. gosh, you destroyed me. But but when we were talking about... But there about, was a joystick. That's the uh, well, cocktail. Uh, that seems we legit. were talking about this last night, and, and I would never have played the cocktail version of this. So I kind of have to take that into consideration. And, and last night and this morning, I, I played with the buttons only and man i got much much harder huh yeah so much harder well i kept you know like you did i kept hitting the shield button expecting it to shoot and i would die and Um, i wouldn't move as fast like you a slight delay when you're moving with buttons because your hand just like it's a different yeah um, you you kind of have to you don't have the the whatever for whatever reason you don't have the muscle memory there and you have to think about okay which button am i pushing and and uh but i still did better than you barely but um I got, uh, and this will be my official score, 15,840 points. You are a terrible person. I'm awful. But it is, I did the same thing. Like, I know I had, I had had um, higher scores before as well, like higher than my, my 12,000 and something score, 12,440. 
when I was on joystick, but that was pretty early on. And so then I switched to buttons and I had to crawl <laughs> back up to the 12th. Like it, it really makes a big difference in yeah. the gameplay. It certainly game. does. So I, now I don't know who the official record holder is. Why though. that would be Mr. Richie Knuckles himself. Oh, really? Well, isn't yeah. that interesting? What's his score? He set this on uh, March 9th, 2011, and his score is uh, 1,007,115 points. Wow. Now I wonder if it was joysticks or buttons. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's an article. I bet you it was on a real cabinet, though, so it probably would be buttons. Uh, the examiner.com has the article uh, talking about his his um, defeat of the record. And, and um, uh, it says that um, an official um, Twin Galaxies referee was there. So I assume that they, he was using a oh, – I know they don't, they don't take – um, scores unless the cabinet's like been unaltered and, and right. checked. So maybe they can open so. it up and see what's inside it. Well, sure, we can, <laughs> we can find that out. Uh, the previous score that he beat was a 987,620 points, which was set all the way back in March of 1983. So Now, uh, I wonder if either of these people use the 204,000 bug. Because if you're good at this game, on the second level, you can immediately jump to that, which means you have a really high score, but it's still relatively early in the game, so things are because things get faster and faster as you play. So it's a major help to your score if you use that bug. And it is a like a bug in the game. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a cheat. So I wonder if they were allowed to use it or not. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a pretty controversial topic in a lot of the, um, the arcade forums and things like that, whether it's acceptable to use a, a an existing bug to to jack your score up when you're doing an official, when you're submitting an official record. And so. A while ago, we showed that video somebody had sent in of... I can't remember who was playing. Somebody playing a Pac-Man game, and the and they go right through a ghost. Yeah, well, that was uh, so Billy, that's the same sort of thing. Billy Mitchell, but I don't know. Okay, that he- so but then let's say Billy Mitchell is doing a run for a, a perfect game on Pac-Man, and goes right through a ghost because of a bug. Do well, they was, say, well, no, you have to stop your game, or does well, that count? That was Ms. Pac-Man. Um, same thing. Well, but he didn't. I don't. Literally the same thing with a bow. He said, "Refer to earlier." Well, but episodes. but you can't you can't well one you can't get a perfect game on Ms. Pac-Man. Uh, you it, challenge accepted <laughs> because there's a bug in the in the code that makes the game crash long before you get to. The okay, but but let's say you were going for I, the perfect well, as possible. The video that we that, that we saw wasn't Billy submitting a a, a score or um, a record, so I don't know. I mean, that yeah, may have what just if been he was hypothetically going for a perfect mm, game I, and submitting. A I don't know. I guess we kind of would have to read through <laughs> Twin Galaxies rules, wouldn't we, Carrington? Well, get Not on the, that, Mike. Well, I mean, answer because, my hypothetical because, ridiculous question. Well, I mean, I, I know them off the top of my head because I submit scores all the time. <laughs> I wrote no, them on the top I of my suck. head. So, but unfortunately, I can't see it. I need a mirror. Yeah, and I'll read it to you. Yeah, anyway, I, I like Phoenix. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's it's a <laughs> just taking a long time to do it. <laughs> it's a it's a really great game, and and there's definitely lots of. Uh, gameplay opportunity for for people like you and I that kind of suck at it, and um, because because I feel like I can get better if I keep practicing, because my score is so low, I'll probably continue playing it all, and also because I enjoy it. And I, and I find I did get better like through the week. I first I got kind of good, then I went to buttons and I got really bad, and then I slowly began to get better again. So it's a game that really does reward playing, and it's fun. Um, and there's some good variety there. Like if you play Space Invaders, you get really good at it. It really is the same level over and over and over again. And so I know five levels is not a huge variety compared to other things, but it still you know breaks things up and makes the pace a little different if you're going to play the game really well. I, I, I dig this game. And for two hundred dollars for for a good condition original cabinet, it's a steal. Yeah, I, I can't. Um, man, I'm tempted to go get one right now. Before I know, I, eh? Before <laughs> there's my... one in Atlanta for two hundred bucks on eBay. <laughs> Crazy. Before my wife wakes up, I'll just buy her and <laughs> it'll be here. 
Um, yeah, no, this is a this is a great game, and and you know, there's no other than the fact that the cabinet is awesome and it's cheap. You don't need the cabinet to to play the game and have a good time. That said. You know, for 200 bucks, uh, I don't know if you can beat that. So, And I like the side art. Like, it's a cabinet, I think. And I like this. Honestly, I've yet to be able to duplicate the proper way a, a game sounds. Cabinets are resonant. And they yeah. it sounds mm-hmm. different when you play on a cabinet than when you when you play on, like, a main system. No matter what I do, I can't make a game sound the same playing at home as on an actual cabinet. Yeah, there's, there's something about the way the, you know, when you mount those, those cheap little speakers against the even cheaper particle board... Um, and the way the the bass kind of resonates through that, that um, it's just it's not the same. And 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 physically, my my setup often is me sitting because I have a setup where like it's a little desktop thing, and I can sit with the joystick in hand or a little button control panel on a desk, and I'm playing that way. And that's very different than standing up, like leaning on an arcade game, playing it like a Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, organ. you know, like it's it's, it's, a, it's a different experience completely. Well, and a good I think a good uh, example of that was the kind of the change that they made in Mame with the Donkey Kong samples, you know, the original ones Yes, going yeah. going way back when, you know, Mame was, was young and new and, and wide-eyed and bushy-tailed um, <laughs> um, were actual recordings of the game in progress. And were, sounded better than the And sounded currents. a lot better. And then when they switched over to the sound as, as captured being generated by the chip itself, then that's why... You know, if you if you play these days and and you've got a later version of Mame and the and the, the ROMs and the samples, it, it sounds really muffled and just doesn't sound good at all. But it's although it, if you were to take that Mame, the current Mame setup, and you put it in a cabinet with the correct speakers and stuff, then you then would, it should theoretically come out at you at the right sound. But most people are using Mame to play it on their home PC. Well, exactly. So you're better off with the recordings. And that's kind of that's why I think Mame's policy makes sense is that that they will it's. A, it's acceptable to to lose the quality of, of sound as it's being pumped through your computer speakers because it's a more accurate emulation, right? But it's not more accurate to your ear at a for a typical user because they're not playing it through a cabinet. You should be able to choose. I think we should choose next week's game, Carrington. I choose. I'm going to be like Frankie goes to Hollywood. I'm going to have a big <laughs> choose game shirt. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> so. Mike, speaking of sound, oh, the segues are so <laughs> oh, professional. No, we, are, we are just pros at this, consummate <laughs> what, professionals. What does next week's game <laughs> sound like? Why, here you go. And in the coming weeks, we haven't decided when yet, um, we will kind of do a a, a more appropriate birthday bash celebration thing that's that celebrates both 100 episodes and two years, and uh, we're going to do something in conjunction with the uh, the, the underground retrocade. And uh, yeah, but look, I look at it this way: we did our April Fool's Day the week after April right. Fool's Day. That's just how we roll. We do everything late. So somewhere between now and and episode 104, we'll 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 do something, and we'll we'll do a contest to give some stuff away. We'll have a good time. Promise. Somewhere between now and episode 120. Give us some, some room to okay. maneuver. 120, 130, you know. Whatever. Definitely somewhere in the next 20 episodes or so. Closer we'll to, uh, you know, maybe between now and episode 200 we'll have something. Exactly. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. 
feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast and on Twitter we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links plus the show notes are available at monsterfeet.com and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. <laughs>